So the verse on the top of your page, if you're familiar with the, the passage in Mark 9, where you have a guy basically begging, uh, begging Jesus to heal, I believe it was his son. And he says, if you believe, Jesus says to this man, if you believe all things are possible, in his response, he cries out, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And I think we can understand what he was talking about there because we have faith in Christ. And we believe Him. Yet when it comes to practice, we often prove that we don't actually believe Him by the things that we do or by the things that we don't do. So that's what He was crying out. I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief. Guys, I pray this all the time for myself. I pray it all the time for myself. Especially when I know that I haven't done the things that that I know I should have done, the things that I know that God has called me to do if I miss a witnessing opportunity or just an opportunity to help someone and I convince myself I'm too busy so I just keep on scooting by. It's because I don't believe Him. I say I do, and to some degree I do, but within the core of me I don't actually believe Him. I take things into my own hands and I don't just trust Christ to handle these things. So by way of introduction on our study sheet here, this paragraph... Week after week, we fill this church with people on Sundays and Wednesdays. The Bible is preached with authority and passion, and we find ourselves shouting amen and nodding in agreement with the preacher that's up there. There's a fire lit in our souls, and we're ready to take on the world for the cause of Christ. Then something happens when we walk out the doors of the building. Suddenly the fire's quenched, and that conviction to make a difference is snuffed out. We become apathetic to the lost and become consumed with our own lives. Suddenly the life change that we were convicted about, it doesn't seem very important. And what happens to us as we walk, so um, what happens to us as we walk through those doors? Our enemies, the seen and unseen, which would be, what are our three enemies? We covered this. It was the first study we did. What are our enemies? That's one of the breakdowns. Yeah. The flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh, we can see it. We know it's tugging on us. The world, we can see that world system that's convincing us of things that we know aren't true. And the devil, he's that unseen enemy. He's that, he's that subtle voice that gets into our minds. So our enemies, after we leave here, our enemies, seen and unseen, they attack through subtlety as they steal away the life of joy in Christ. Because we get wrapped up in our lives and we think that these are the things that are going to keep us going. These are the things that are going to make us happy. And we miss the fact that Jesus came to serve and he promised us that that would be the joy that we have. When he said, I give you a joy that no man can take away because I give you my joy, his joy was totally giving himself for everyone else. That was the joy he was giving to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto other people. We forget that because the enemy attacks all the time. We cannot get away from it. And what these enemies are doing, they're always widening the gap between two very important things, and that's what we know and what we do. Because there's always a gap between what we know and what we do. We know what the Bible says. But then what we do with it, there's always a gap because we always know more than what we actually do. Will you turn with me to James chapter 1? James 1. So the title of this message tonight is Help Mine Unbelief. Help Mine Unbelief. 
James 1. <clears throat> Verses 21 through 25. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." But whosoever, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the first point is there's always a gap. There's always a gap between what we know and what we do. But we can't be forgetful hearers. So this starts off with lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He says to put that stuff aside because you can't receive the engrafted word, which means it becomes a part of you. It grafts itself into you. It's engrafted. You can't, you can't let that in to a point where it becomes part of you if you're excusing sin if you're not dealing with sin, if we're not laying aside filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. So that's step one. we got to get rid of that junk. That's part of why we have that gap. Because we're sinners and because we excuse sin and we think it's not so bad. So we got to start there. Repent of that sin. Change our minds. Confess it to God. Get rid of that junk. And then he says to be doers of it, because when it engrafts itself into you and becomes part of you, you will do it. You'll do it. Has anybody ever had a Bible verse that they read it and it just hit them and they're like, man, I love that verse. And then that was it for a while. It was a really good verse. It might have even been your favorite verse. And that was it though. You could quote it, you liked it, and then something happens in your life. And it took that really good verse that you knew and buried it deep in your heart and it changed the way you live or changed the way that you see things from that point forward. Has that ever happened to you guys? I know it has for me. And that's what he's talking about. That's that engrafting process. It's not enough to just know it in your head. It's got to become part of you. Because when it does, you will do something about it. Because it's who you are now. And there's no other book that can do this. Only the Bible can, but it's when you take it from your head down to your heart. So we can't just be hearers of the word. We've got to be doers because if we know the Bible and we can quote the Bible and then we look at our lives and we're doing things that are contrary to the very scriptures that we can quote off the top of our heads, what does it say in verse 22? What are we doing to ourselves? We're deceiving ourselves into thinking we're something when we're nothing, as Paul put it to the church in, in Galatia. He said, we think we're something when we're really nothing. Or like he tells the Corinthians, let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. We've got to be careful and not deceive ourselves. Because if we're a hearer and not a doer, you guys are familiar with this analogy. It's like this, right? 
it's like I looked in the mirror and my hair looked like this. I wish my beard was longer still because I could really get that thing frothed out there. There you go. Tom, right? So you look in the mirror and you go, looks good, let's roll. <laughs> All right? No, that's the analogy he's using. We don't do that. We look into the mirror to see what's wrong so we can fix it before we go out into the world, right? That's what the Bible should be. That perfect law of liberty is that glass. It's that mirror. We look into it. We see what's wrong here. We do something about it, and then we go into the world. But the only way we can do that is if it's engrafted and it's part of us because we can fake it for a day, a week, a month. Who knows? Some people have a more willpower. They can fake it longer. But sooner or later, doing it in our own will, in our willpower, it fades. It doesn't last. It's not permanent. So it's got to become part of who we are. So that's what we have to do when we look into that, that perfect mirror, this book. And then it says, continueth therein. We keep continuing in this perfect law of liberty habitually for the rest of our lives because it says being not a forgetful here but a doer and notice it doesn't say of the word it says of the work of the work because it's work it's not easy it's the work of the lord what are the two the two branches of the work of the lord you guys are familiar with this discipleship and evangelism exactly we evangelize people to see them get saved. Then we disciple those very people to train them how to evangelize, how to feed themselves in the Bible, and then how to evangelize the lost to see them saved. And we just keep going through this process. It's the work of the Lord because it's the work the Lord did while he was here. So we've got we've to begin narrowing that gap between what we know and then what we do with that because we all have it and we're all going to have it. The key is just making that gap smaller and smaller and smaller. The more we walk with Him, the more we know Him, the smaller that gap should be getting. It definitely should not be getting wider. If so, something's wrong. We need to stop and analyze. What are we doing? Maybe it's where this passage starts. What sins are we letting in? What sins are we letting slip? That we're not talking to God about it. We're not dealing with it. So that's the first point. There's a gap between what we know and what we do. Next, turn over to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. He says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And this is where he boils it down. Therefore, in light of what he just said, the fact that we have no idea if we have tomorrow or not, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We think of sin in terms of the things that we do that we know are wrong, but that's not what the Bible says. That's only half of our equation. 
And that's only half of our sin problem. It's not just the things that we do that we know are wrong that we then repent of. It's the things that we know we should be doing that we're not doing that are also sin. When we miss those witnessing opportunities and we know when it hits our heart, you've got to understand something. It's not just, oh, man, I'm sorry, God. I blew that opportunity. It's you sinned against God when that happens. So your point here is we must not delay in our obedience. To know to do good and not do it is sin. It is sin. You know, I'm, I'm just as guilty. I think I've probably even shared this with you guys. I always had that mentality of, you know, I had a, I had a very close friend of mine that Anytime at church where I'd be challenged, you know, who's that one person you want to share Christ with? When you leave here today, who's that one person that you know you've been praying for? You, you want to share the gospel? And I had this one friend of mine that I've known my whole life. And I know he's lost. And I keep, every time I would have it, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him this week. And then I wouldn't, and I would make excuses. And I know in the back of my mind, it was always, we've got more time. We've got more time. I've got more time. Until one day, a guy that we graduated with, and this was probably three, three years ago, and I'm not that old yet, but about three years ago, a guy that I graduated with died of a heart attack. <coughs> Boom, gone from a heart attack. And it was that close friend of mine that told me about it. He texted me. And I'm like, it, it was like ground shaking to me. Because I always thought there was more time, more time. And you know what I started doing? The guy that died, I thought about all the times that I saw him after I got saved. And I didn't say a word to him about it. And I made it that point that night. I think I sat in our driveway for an hour and a half talking to this friend of mine. Where I, and I even told him all this. And I told him, you're always the person on my heart. You're always the person I think of when I'm challenged to share the truth of what I believe with someone. You're always the person I think of because... He was my best friend. We were closest growing up. And we've since grown apart. So I explained all that to him. I said, I always convinced myself I had more time until Scott died. And then I realized we don't have that time. And that's exactly what James is saying. Don't convince yourself that you've always got tomorrow. Don't convince yourself, I'll go to the Memorial Day Parade next year. I'll go to Canal Days next year. You don't know if you have next year. None of us know if we have next year. We don't even know if we have tonight. I would have never imagined a guy in his mid-30s would just fall over dead of a heart attack. Especially a guy I knew well. We played sports together. He was a healthy guy. Boom, gone. Underlying heart condition. Just gone. Don't say I'll do it tomorrow. Don't say I'll do it next week. Don't say I'll do it next year. Now is the time. Now is the time to do it. It says our life is but a vapor. A vapor comes up and it's gone. Even if we get 90 years on this planet, what is that in the grand scheme of eternity? Because that's where souls are going to go. They're going to go into eternity. And it's either going to be with Christ or without Christ. And in this little vapor that we've got, this little space of grace, as Ezra put it, we've got to make a difference. Because it's a vapor and it's fast. It goes fast. And the older we get, the faster it goes. That's just a fact of life. So we can't delay in our, our obedience. If we know to do good and we don't do it, we are sinning. We are. Turn over to Song of Solomon.
chapter 5. Bet you didn't expect we'd be turning to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Taking a look at this book devotionally, this is Christ in the church. Christ is the king, and, uh, and the bride in this story, this is the church. So to take a look at this devotionally, that's what we're going to look at here. So your point, I'll give you the blank before we work through this, is we must stop making excuses. We must stop making excuses to not go, to not be obedient, which flows right out of not delaying. Part of our delay is that we make excuses and we convince ourselves that it's okay to not do these things. Song of Solomon 5, verse 2. So this is, uh, this is the bride speaking to, to the king, as it were. And she says, I'm sorry, Song of Solomon 5, verses 2 through 6. She says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with the dew and my locks with the drops of the night. It's Jesus knocking at the door saying, Open up, my beloved. The dew is in my hair. He's outside, right? Jesus said he didn't have a home. He said the foxes have dens and the fowls have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He slept in the world because he came to save the world. So he lived in the world with the world. So he could have an influence with the world. So that he's got the dew in his hair and he's knocking saying, Open up my beloved, my undefiled. This is the bride of Christ. Verse 3. This is the bride's response. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? You know what these are? These are excuses to not answer the door when Christ is knocking. Well, I'm already in for the night. I've already taken off my coat. What, am I going to go get my coat and put it back on? I've already washed my feet. Am I really going to go out and get my feet dirty again? I'm going to have to come home and wash my feet again. Look, I'm not saying to get out into the world and roll in the mud with them in their sin. But if we're out in the world trying to win the world, we're going to get defiled a little bit, right? Our feet are going to get a little dirty because we're going to hear things that we don't want to hear. We're going to see things that we don't want to see. It doesn't mean we fall victim to sin with them, but we're going to have to put up with it if we want to win them, right? We can't make these kinds of excuses. I don't want to get my feet dirty. You know what? Our feet need to get a little dirty. They really do because we carry the gospel with these things everywhere we go. They need to get a little dirty. So what does Christ do? Verse 4, my beloved put his hand, uh, my beloved put his hand, what? Put in his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh and my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. Verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Here's the point of all this. He tried the door. The door was locked because we've said, no, I'm not going to answer that call. Then when we finally feel like getting around to doing what the things Christ has called us to do, that opportunity may be gone forever. It might be gone forever. And what I'm talking about is when I think about Scott, 
that I graduated with. All the times I saw him since I got saved. Christ was knocking. I don't want to put my coat back on. I don't know if I want to get my feet dirty right now. You know, I'm at work right now. I saw him I was at work, and I just, I've got to get to the job. I've got to be a responsible employee, right? And you let all these things, all these stupid excuses get in the way. Well, you know what? It's like I finally was willing to open the door, and the opportunity is gone forever. I never get that opportunity ever again as long as I live. Never. And I don't know. I don't know. But what happens when I stand before Christ and I find out on that day that he's in hell? What then? What am I going to feel then? There are times when I think about this when I'm not teaching and I just cry and cry because I can't go back. I don't get that chance again. And what happens when I find out on that day? How am I going to feel? Am I going to know that forever? I don't know. And I hate that I'm going to have to find out. But it's the way it is. And we got to take stuff like that. The things like that to remind us we got to be out there. Because that's a guy I knew. What happens if we find out on that day of every person we came in contact with? Strangers that we didn't talk to. And we got to find out on that day that they're in hell. We got to do something about this. No more excuses. No more. She rose up. She knew he had been there. The, the, the handle was dripping with myrrh. It's one of the things that was brought to Christ's birth and to his death. Myrrh. She opened, but he was gone because the opportunity was gone. Gone. And there wasn't another one we got to stop making excuses and know this. There's a reason that every time you read through all these points, it says we, 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 because it's me too. This isn't a finger being pointed at you guys. It's us. We, including me, have to be doing this. We have to stop making excuses. Stop not doing what is good because it is sin to not do that. Go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy 1, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Really pay attention here. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee 
also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We must consider our salvation and realize we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. And you notice how he leads into it with that. He reminds him of his salvation. And not only his salvation, he reminds him of the people that led him to his faith. The great, the great lineage that he has of faith. He reminds him of that. You are Christ's. Stir up that gift that's in you. Now, in this instance, Paul laid his hands on Timothy. Nobody laid hands on us. But know this, the day you got saved, you were given a gift. A spiritual gift. And the purpose for that gift was to glorify Christ. So remember that. Stir it up. And just to remind you, God has not given you a spirit of fear. If you're feeling fear, that is not God's spirit in you at work. That's your own flesh. And that is evil. That is the spirits that are evil at work convincing us that we should be afraid that we should be afraid when we have nothing to fear, right? What did Jesus say? He said, um, don't fear man which can kill the body. Fear God which can kill both body and soul in hell. What are we afraid of? We should be more afraid of God than we are of people. I'm trying to remember what that reference is. That's okay. Look up that Mark 13 reference later because it's really good and goes to that point. Oh, it's when Jesus tells his disciples not to be not to pre-consider, basically, what they're going to say when they're brought up, basically to be killed, is what he's telling them. They're going to bring you up before councils and magistrates and, and everything, and they're going to kill you. They're going to want to kill you. Don't premeditate what you'll say. Trust the Spirit in that hour, because it is the Spirit that will talk through you. Likewise, we don't have any fear of going out and sharing Christ on a street corner or at a Memorial Day parade or at Canal Days, and we're afraid that somebody's going to knife us to death right there on the spot, right? I mean, I don't carry that fear around. I really don't think that's going to happen. But he said, even if that's the case, don't worry about it. You just trust the Spirit to get you through whatever's coming. And that's what he told him. So consider your salvation, and I say consider your salvation because how he puts it in 1st or 2nd Corinthians is you're bought with a price. That's your salvation. You were purchased with a price, and that price was the precious blood, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So consider that, and then realize you have nothing to fear. We're not going to turn to John chapter 20, but the next point is we only truly believe we only truly believe what we act upon. And in John chapter 20, that's where Jesus shows up to all the disciples. Remember, Thomas is like, they're like, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe unless I see him and I can put my finger in his wounds. And so Jesus shows up, right? And what does he tell Thomas? He says, you see my wounds? Put your fingers in. And he says something very interesting because faith and belief, they go hand in hand. He says, be not faithless, but believing. Faith and belief, hand in hand, they're tied right together. They mean the same thing. Faith, genuine faith in Christ means you believe him. 
all of him, not just that he would save your soul, but everything that he said. Be not faithless, but believing. And what does Thomas fall down and say? My Lord and my God. And then you know what happened in Thomas's life after that? He becomes a missionary and he ends up martyred in India for his faith. Doubting Thomas. He showed that what he believed, he then acted upon because he dedicated the rest of his short life to serving Christ and he was killed for it. Because we only truly believe the things that we're acting upon. If we're not doing it, it's because we don't believe him. It's because we don't believe him. So go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. Verses 7 through 10. Can I get a volunteer to read this one? I'm dying up here. Landry. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And we have therefore opportunity, let us do unto all, be good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Okay. So the question here is, what are we sowing? What are we sowing? Are we sowing to the flesh? Or are we sowing to the Spirit? Again, we got to think outside of just active sins that we know we're committing, that are outward things that we do. Right? Because when we don't do good, as James put it, that also is sin. So when we know to do good and we don't do it, we are sowing to the flesh. We're sowing corruption. And what are we going to reap? Corruption. And what is the law of sowing and reaping? You plant one seed in the ground. Say it's a tomato seed. Do you get one tomato? You get a bunch of tomatoes, right? You plant one pepper seed. You get a bunch of peppers. We got to remember that reaping and sowing is not one for one. I did this one sin, so this, I'll probably have one little bad thing happen in my life. Nope. Not how it works. Oh, I did this one good thing, so one good thing will happen. Nope, not how it works. You know what happens? We start sowing to the flesh, what seem like little things to us, and then we fast forward through time a little bit, and we get to this place in our life where we feel like our whole world is crumbling down on us, and we begin to have the audacity to think, what did I do to deserve this? What's going on? Because maybe we have been walking with the Lord for a while, right? And we've, we've forgotten all that we sowed to the flesh. And now I'm walking with the Lord. Why is all this happening to me? It's the law of sowing and reaping. We don't get to pick when it happens, and we certainly don't get to pick what we reap. Right? We get to choose the sin. We don't get to choose the consequence. We don't. That's not the way it works. So what are we sowing? He says, don't be deceived about this. We may think we're getting away with things, but God is not mocked. So what are we sowing? What are we sowing? And then as he works through that, exhorting us to sow to the Spirit, which brings in life everlasting, he reminds us, don't get weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't get weary. Because I'll tell you what, sowing to the Spirit, doing what's right, doing what's good, and you feel like nobody's listening and nobody cares, it gets exhausting. 
gets exhausting. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. And he follows that by saying, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So do good unto all men, but especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially. It doesn't mean be so focused on your brothers and sisters in Christ that you leave the lost out of it totally. Do good unto all men. Do good. Unfortunately, we've mixed that term up so much in our society, we don't even know what good means. It's godly. To do good. It doesn't mean the same as doing well, like, ah, I'm doing good. No, it means to do good unto others. To help provide for them, to help them, to do whatever you can. To show them that your Savior is different than every other false Savior on planet Earth. To actually be Jesus with skin on. So what are we sowing? Aaron and I were talking about this beforehand and the thought had even popped into my head. This sowing stuff, it's, it's not easy. It's work, right? Sowing a field, it's work. Has anybody else noticed that in Sri Lanka, 300 Christians are dead for going to, eat, to uh, church on Easter morning? And Pastor Tom mentioned that there's kind of a concerted effort in our country where we can really see that they're really starting to come against Christianity and it's beginning to get worse and worse. Did anybody else see what those Christians were called in Sri Lanka? Easter worshipers! Not Christians. And you know it's intentional. And you know it's against us. You know that. Because here's the point. Here's, here's why I'm even bringing this up. You know, when it was a horrible, horrible tragedy when 50 Muslims were killed in New Zealand. But we heard about it for weeks and weeks. It was the only thing anybody wanted to talk about. Now there are 300 dead Christians for going to church on a Sunday morning. And we barely hear a peep. And when we do, they're Easter worshipers. They don't even have the decency to call us Christians. Easter worshipers. Because Pastor Tom mentioned it Sunday, and it's something I do think about regularly. We absolutely live in Disneyland right now. We do. We have no real fear of persecution. Real persecution. That's what those people in Sri Lanka just went through. That's what people in the Middle East go through every day. That's their normal life. That's this right here. That's pray for the persecuted. Those are the people that if it's even known that they're Christians, they're dead. They're dead. Their churches are underground, and they have to be really careful about what they do. Yet, those people have a greater burden to share their faith with the lost than we do. And they know they're going to die when they do it. And we're afraid we're going to get yelled at or rejected and won't do it. They're going to die. The persecuted church, we know literally nothing of persecution, real persecution. Getting yelled at, getting cussed at, even getting punched in the face is not persecution. It's not. What those people live through, what the Fox's Book of Martyrs is all about, when you have fathers that watch their kids get murdered, hoping that, they'll, that the father will recant his faith. If we kill his kid, then he'll deny his Christ. Nope. 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 All right, let's move on to his wife. Kills her. Nope. And then finally we'll kill him too. 
That's persecution. That's the real deal. Not what we experience. So what are we sowing? Because we have no fear of that stuff. All we have fear of is rejection. That's it. And what does that mean in eternity? We're rejected here, but we're accepted in the beloved. Who cares about rejection here? In all honesty, I don't want to get punched in the face. But if it happens, it happens. That's just the way it is. So what are we sowing? To the flesh or to the spirit? Can I get... Can I get a volunteer to read Luke 10 and then everybody else turn to Proverbs 10? Eliza, Luke 10, everyone else to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5. <clears throat> he that gathereth in summer is a wise son. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. So notice, he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Eliza? After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the labor, laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So in Proverbs we're told, if you're gathering the harvest in summertime, it's wise. But a son that sleeps through the harvest is a shame. It's a shame to his father. Our harvest, our field, is now. It's summertime now. Jesus said, that's the harvest. And the harvest is pretty great. We lack, what? Laborers. Labor means it's work. Labor means it's hard. But we need laborers. And we need to be praying that God would send laborers. And we need to pray that God would make us laborers that we would get over ourselves and we would go do it. Because the point here is we must not be sleepy laborers. We must not be sleepy laborers. The harvest is now. And there are people dying and going to hell every day. So to wrap this thing up, go ahead and turn to Proverbs 13. Proverbs, Romans. Let's try Romans 13. I don't even know what Proverbs 13 says. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Proverbs 13, 11 through 14. And that, knowing the time, that now, now, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, 
not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. It is time to wake up. We are asleep at the wheel, church. We, right here, me too. It's time to wake up. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And what he's talking about is there's coming a day when you're going to see the Lord and it's closer than it was the day you got saved. Every day, we are that much closer to being with Christ and not being here. He says the night is far spent and the day is at hand, the day of the Lord. So what do we do? We cast off the works of darkness. We put on the armor of light. We walk honestly. We get that sin out of our lives because it is our own sin that shuts our mouths. Right? Sometimes that's what shuts me down. I feel like I can't, I can't talk to this person. I have, I, I have this sin. How can I talk to them about this? I'm guilty. So you know what you do? You repent, you get right with God, and you do the work. We wake up. We get into this fog. We go to sleep, as it were. So we got to walk honestly. We got to repent of these sins, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's our next problem we make provision for the flesh. We make provision for the flesh. Right? If you've got an issue with smoking, Dipping, drinking. Don't go around people that are doing that, right? Because when you do, you make provision. You're basically saying, I'm just going gonna, gonna to provide this slight open door. I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to stay around it, right? You make provision for the flesh. So you know what happens? You fulfill the lust thereof. If you have an issue with pornography, get somebody your passcode, your lock code. Let them put it in your phone for you. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't be staying up late on your tablet, on your laptop, on your phone. Don't make provision for your flesh, whatever it is. If in your heart of hearts you're like, I really don't want to go evangelizing. Oh, please, something come up. Something come up so I don't have to go anything. Something come up. You're making provision for the flesh because the second something does. So I can't. i got to bake this pie because next... Monday, we are taking it to these people's house for dinner. And no, it's ridiculous, but it's what we do. It may not be baking pies, but it's equally as ridiculous if we're honest with ourselves, right? We got to wake up and stop making provision for our flesh. We have to stop doing this. We've been talking about this, you know, we've been going through the end times. We know what is coming for the lost world. We know the end of the story. And we're not going to be here for it. So it's like in Song of Solomon. We can't make excuses because the day's coming where we have no more chances. No more. And that's it. We need to do all, all that we could do for the cause of Christ to see the lost saved for His glory and for their eternal souls. You know, I heard a, an old, I think it was a Baptist preacher, an old message, and it was a provocative title coming from a Baptist. He said, everybody goes to heaven. 
Everybody's going to heaven. And you know that's true. That's true. For us that know Christ, we're going to get called out of here. Or He's going to call us out of the grave. And we're going to be with Him. And we're ultimately going to spend eternity with Him. And the lost, they're also going to meet Him in heaven. And in Revelation 20 it says, from whom His face, the heaven and the earth fled away and there was no place found for them. That's the lost. And they meet God in heaven. Oh, everybody's going to heaven. And we get eternal glory and they get eternal suffering and torment as they're cast off forever. So everybody's going to go to heaven. Some get to stay, some got to go. But either way, we're all eternal. And we might be the only thing standing between anyone out there and the gates of hell. We might be the only roadblock for the rest of their life. We've got to do something about it. And that's why we're going to take seriously getting into the Bible about evangelism, getting confident, because you know what? You're going to find you can do this. You can. If I can do it, you can do it. And that's the truth. People think because I like to talk and I stand up in front of a class and teach that it's just totally natural for me to go out and witness and evangelize to people. It couldn't be further from the truth. I'm just as terrified. I get shaky. I hear my voice quiver at times. But I still have to do it because someone was brave enough to tell me. Somebody was brave enough to tell me about Christ, to invite me to church. Even though I rejected him many times, he never stopped inviting me to church and telling me about Jesus. And you know what happened? I got saved. So we've got to do everything we can. Everything we can. And we've got to be out there. So we pray with me? Father, I know this is, this is heavy, heavy stuff, but I know you've been hitting my heart with it and you've been reminding me for weeks. I have no excuses. What excuse could I possibly have that would hold up when I'm standing face to face with Jesus Christ, when I'm standing face to face with the one person in all of human history that gave everything to save my soul. What will I say on that day? There's nothing I can say. Father, forgive us. We have all sinned and come short of your glory. We have all sinned by not doing what we know is good and right and righteous. Father, cleanse us from those sins. Find the secret faults within each and every one of us. Bring them to our attention. Oh, give us a heart of repentance that we can have our conscience clear between us and you so that we can effectively and honestly share the faith of Jesus Christ with everyone around us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, change us. Don't let this be a message that, that convicted us tonight. By tomorrow or next week, it's gone. Father, bring something into our lives that takes this, this Scripture and takes it from our head down to our hearts. Just 
shorten that gap between what we know and what we do. Even if it's just a little bit at first. Make that gap shorter. Make it smaller. You have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, may we rest in that and not in our own strength or in our own fears that we would trust Christ our Savior and it's in His name that we do pray. Amen.